Hey gang, happy Friday the 13th. It is December the 13th, 2019. Historic day because the House Judiciary Committee just voted in favor of two counts of impeachment against Donald J. Trump. We knew that day would arrive. It is here and uh, next week it'll go to the full House of Representatives and then probably the U.S. Senate where Mitch McConnell will stop the whole train, unfortunately. But we've got quite a mismatch of people coming on the show today. We're going to start talking politics uh, by starting the show off uh, with Christopher Nikhil Bowen from the Stonewall Young Democrats, and then he'll be followed by our very own Marcus Barrington, otherwise known as the gay Gene Dixon, gay psychic with 2020 predictions. Then we got a visit uh, from Lucy Kahn and Wes Sigmiller, who are here to talk about next week's International Day uh, Against Violence Against Sex Workers Across the World. And then we're finishing up with the lady herself, Leslie Jordan, Emmy Award winner from Will and Grace, to talk about his upcoming holiday show, along with singer Sam Harris. So that's, that's the lineup. It's going to be a great two hours. And then uh, yours truly is going to end up co-hosting uh, Drop the subject with Jared Hill from uh, 12 to 2 today, or if you're on the East Coast, from uh, 3 to 5. So uh, I'll be on for four hours, so get used to this gravelly voice. It the might... Friday of John Duran. It is all, yes, <laughs> all day John Duran here at Channel Q. So get used to that voice. Yeah. We're first up with uh, Christopher Nikhil Bowen, who is calling in, and uh, Chris, are you there uh, on the air with us? We got you live. I am. I am. Glad to be with you. Oh, Chris, so good to have you. Welcome to the Sidebar Show. I, I was telling people earlier today uh, about the Stonewall Young Democrats, and uh, somebody said, why do we need young Democrats? And I said, you know what? That is going to be my very first question to Christopher Bowen. Why the reason to exist? What was the raison d'etat? Why did Stonewall Young Democrats decide to form itself? Well, well, thank you for the question. And, and yeah, that... That is something that I actually get pretty regularly, uh, a question I get pretty regularly. And I'll tell you, for years, our organization existed kind of as a youth organization under the Stonewall Democratic Club. And what we had found within the past five years or so is that we wanted to create a space specifically for young voices for people that identify as LGBT uh, or our allies. And we wanted to specifically empower people of color and immigrants and people that have been traditionally disenfranchised. And John, you probably know this uh, because we both live in West Hollywood, uh, but oftentimes organizations, particularly political ones, are dominated by white men. And so we wanted to create a space where the voices of people that are not traditionally heard, even in LGBT spaces, get 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 an equal time and equal say. Which is awesome. And so our viewers know you are actually uh, of Indian descent, correct? Yeah, that's right. I was actually born in Calcutta, India. Awesome. And, and so you're very prominently, when you show up at events, people look at you and they say, okay, that is obviously a different shade of gay because they're not accustomed to seeing people, I think, from that southeast part of Asia uh, involved in LGBT community at all, much less politics. So, Yeah, it is, it is uh, different, especially for the API community. And probably it was uh, very similar to the 
Latino community in that it wasn't as widely accepted and as quickly as accepted in, in, as in other communities. So communities of color are grappling, as you know, with uh, some of those barriers uh, more so than others. I think that's true. I think you know this, Chris, but I was the very first and only person of color ever elected to the West Hollywood City Council in its 35 years of being a city. And uh, I think I'm a light-skinned Latino, so I think a lot of times people don't see Duran as a Latino surname, more so now than uh, 20 years ago. Uh, but that's why when I got uh, installed, uh, very first council term, I brought a mariachi band to make it very clear, very clear from day one who I was and what my culture is. Absolutely, yeah. And it's so important that we, uh, we stress that because uh, sometimes people uh, will say things uh, to people of color like, oh, yeah, I forgot that you were... Uh, I forgot that you were a person of color and we're supposed to take that like it's a compliment. Like, oh yeah, right. Right. Yeah. We're, we're passing. We're, we're white enough for you. No, that's not what we should be doing. We should be talking about our diversity and celebrating our diversity. Awesome. Chris, when we come back, we want to talk to you more about millennials and boomers and of course politics. Thanks for tuning in gang here on channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, my young heterosexual millennial, please tell me you know which two women were just singing Happy Days are here again. Please? I have no clue. Oh my God. Okay, that's Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland singing Happy Days are here again. Okay, so I didn't know what version you wanted, <laughs> so this is actually the Glee version. <laughs> oh, that's Glee. Okay, I am yes. so right. Oh my God, that sounded just like Judy Garland. and. Uh, hey, they, they have great vocals. They have great yeah. vocals. All right, I stand corrected. <laughs> I got you. Which brings us into our OK Boomer moment of the day. Uh, we're talking to Christopher Nikhil Bowen from the Stonewall Young Democrats. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. You know, we I, I did not realize that OK Boomer was a disparaging remark until a few weeks ago. <laughs> Some young millennial said to me, OK Boomer, and I'm like, OK Goober. I was like, whatever. Hi. OK. I didn't realize it was supposed to be disparaging, but being the Stonewall Young Democrats, do you ever feel that generational uh, tug where, uh, you know, people over uh, 50 see the world differently than, let's say, people under 40? I, yeah, I absolutely see it. And obviously, specifically within our LGBT community, I think that we've made so many advances so quickly that people that are over, probably even over 40, have a totally different life experience 
uh, with being LGBT than people that are under 40. And so that shapes the way that they interact with the rest of the world. I think that's true. I know for like my friends and I, being over 50, uh, you know, we went and walked through a plague. We walked through an epidemic where, where hundreds of our friends died. And I think for younger people, they're aware of that, that that's part of the history of the LGBT community, but they didn't uh, experience it. They may know people who have HIV and maybe they know someone who died of AIDS, but they don't know over 100 people who died of AIDS. So obviously right. just that one example I think shapes the way in which each of us look at the world differently. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's totally true, and and it's it's difficult to to try to convince people that are under forty about some of some of the difficulties that those that are over forty have gone through, and and I think that uh, folks that are younger get a little frustrated with. Uh, what they perceive as the lack of revolutionary spirit that those that are over 40 have and those that are over 40 are saying, listen, you have no idea what we've been through. We so started the revolution, damn it. <laughs> right, right. Hey, I'm curious. Now, Pete Buttigieg, uh, obviously uh, the leading contender for the Democratic nomination in Iowa right now, he is an LGBT millennial. He's Well, maybe he's Generation Y. I think he's 37, 38 uh, but obviously, he's under 40. Um, right. It, does that mean Stonewall Young Democrats as an organization, or maybe you individually, you're going to support Pete Buttigieg's uh, candidacy, or are you looking to other candidates? What, what What's going on with your club? Well, the club tends to not get involved at the presidential level because so, so many of us have different opinions um, on who to endorse for president. And honestly, we don't have a whole lot of sway as to who becomes the next president. We all have our own individual opinions, but it's obviously pretty um, contentious, and there's no need to go down that road if we don't have to. So we generally try to stay out of the uh, presidential elections. How about you uh, personally? But, Are you supporting someone? Yeah, I, I'm actually supporting uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, as well as you know, well over 50% of uh, folks my age. Um, and that's because I think that he has a very good record on talking about wealth redistribution and the climate crisis. And I think that when we're living here in the Los Angeles area and we're looking at people living in extreme, extreme wealth, and then on the other hand, folks living literally on the streets, you know, 50,000 people plus in L.A. County living on the streets, uh, a lot of people that are, are young people and, and a lot of these people are LGBT people and that's our community, and that's deeply uh, concerning uh, for all of us. But I think uh, for people that are younger, they're, they're looking at the situation they're assessing, and they're saying, you know what? We think that we might be able to fix this. Mm. So I got to tell you, my candidate was Kamala Harris, uh, the attorney general. I'm sorry, not attorney general, U.S. senator from California. She got an elevation, I forgot, uh, because I've known her since she was uh, the district attorney of San Francisco. And uh, she dropped out. So I don't have a candidate now. And I'm I'm kind of going every which way because I, I do like some of the things Bernie Sanders says, but I also like some of the things Elizabeth Warren says. I know Joe Biden. I, I knew Joe Biden when he was in the Obama administration. And so and I'm open to Pete Buttigieg. So I actually haven't decided at this point who I'm going to vote for in March. But uh, obviously we had a historic vote in uh, Great Britain yesterday with Labor losing 
uh, by extraordinary numbers, giving Boris Johnson a new parliamentarian majority to push Brexit through and, and break the United Kingdom away from the rest of the United Europe. Does that loss in any way impact, you think, our U.S. elections? I mean, I saw critics all over social media today and in the press saying, well, we could do the same thing could happen if either Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren is the nominee. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of overlap. But what I what I would caution is is for the Democratic Party to remember to stay on message and their message needs to be talking to the American people, the base, the middle class voters. And I think sometimes, you know, when Elizabeth Warren or when Bernie Sanders or when folks are up there talking about uh, eliminating most or all of student loan debt, and they're talking about making uh, things free that uh, over half of the country is not even trying to gain access to. Uh, some people just tune out and they're like, you know what, this is this is really just upper middle class, upper class content. What, what are they going to do for working class people? And I think that we need to make sure that we are talking about those issues as Democrats and making them key pillars of the campaign as we move forward, because what we don't want to do is have another term of Donald Trump. So I think that we need to get this right. That will unify all of us right there, the thought of another term of Donald Trump. Hey, look, we've only got about a minute and a half left, but I have to ask, because you come from the culture of India, from a a culture that is very much focused, I think, on on generation to generation. You know, one not one particular religion over the other. I, know, I mean, I know people from India who who are uh, are Hindu, who are Buddhist, who are Christian, uh, various religions. Coming out as a, a gay kid or a gay kid from Indian ancestry, was there ever anything culturally that was an obstacle for you, religion or the, the maybe the, the stress to, to marry and have children, like I think a lot of Asian cultures demand? Anything happen like that for you? I would say that mine is a very unique situation in that I was adopted. So my siblings are from all over the world, and I grew up in a, in a in Vermont, actually, which is like the whitest state in the union. So we looked like the UN at our house, and everyone else looked like you know what people thought America looked like in 1900, right? So it was like very a very unique experience for me. Well, there you go, and that's and there you that you are the true American dream and patriot, Christopher Nikhil Bowen. I love that. I love that. I, and my hats off to your parents for, for doing that. We have less than thirty thirty seconds here. Anything on a website, or how can people get a hold of Stonewall Young Democrats? You guys got a Twitter page or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're on we're on Twitter, the Stonewall Young Dems, and visit our website, StonewallYoungDems.org. We're getting involved in a lot of local races uh we're getting involved in state races and we need more people particularly immigrants people of color people that have been traditionally shut out of the political process we want you as part of our team so come join us christopher bowen thank you for joining us on sidebar and have a great election year maybe we can have you back again in 2020 thank you so much for having me i look forward to it all right when we come back our own gay gene dixon marcus barrington with predictions for 2020 here on channel q Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Okay, young millennial, that's my baby boomer song, The Age of Aquarius by the Fifth Dimension, uh, where we all thought it was going to be about peace and love forever and ever. Uh, I know. You Never look- heard of it, but it sounds great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is our continuing thing. Gang, welcome back. We're boomers and millennials. Love one another. <laughs> We're happy to be here on the sidebar. Next up, we've got Marcus Barrington, who's been a guest on the show before, and he's back. Marcus, I welcome back. back. Thank you. Yeah. Now, the last time you were here, you brought a ghost into the studio. Please, <laughs> Unintentionally. Please do not do that again without giving me some warning. I don't want to have a heart attack after all these Red Bulls and everything else I'm drinking here. <laughs> Tell us, 2020, what what do you think? All right, 2020 is actually going to be a pretty explosive year. And really, it's been getting set up since 2017 was when the lineup for 2020 was taking place. And then 2018, for most people, was sort of like a kick in the butt, right? A lot of people had a really difficult year. That summer, we had what I call the summer of backwards, right? Every single planet, with the exception of Venus, went retrograde. So that means they were spinning direct at the exact same time, which is unheard of. That never happens. So it was kind of also the summer of love, because Venus rules love, and it was the only planet that was spinning direct. Also, that made Tauruses, because Venus rules Taurus, the only zodiac sign that was normal or sane that summer. And then everything's been kind of leading up to it in 2019. Now, we have five of the major planets in Capricorn right now, which is going to stay that way for the first four to five months of 2020. When any sign or when any planet goes into Capricorn, it makes them really serious because Capricorn is the serious sign. It's the top of the rocks, right? So the first part of the year is going to be hardcore, full steam ahead. Everybody's going to be on it. And it's all going to kick off on January 10th when Uranus goes direct. Now, Uranus controls explosions, right? And he's been retrograde for about five months, making bad explosions kind of happen, which is you'll see on the world stage, impeachments and things like that, and big secrets coming out. So now he's going to go forward on January 10th, which is going to be when everything for us as a nation or individually is going to explode forward in a really big way. Mm, okay. <laughs> are you ready for that? Jason, what's your sign? I, we went through this last time. What What are you again? Scorpio? You're Scorpio. Yes, that's oh. right. And I'm yeah. Libra. So Scorpio, particularly in 2020, is all about self-like expression and diving deep and undergoing Ooh. really big emotional changes for Scorpio. Ooh, so it's going to be a really wow. intense year, particularly for <laughs> oh Scorpio. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm ready for it. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> what about Libras? I tend to get along with everybody, I think. I, I love Yeah, Libras. well, Libras are the balancers, right? They're, yes, we are. They're, they're also the relationship sign of the Zodiac, and they're also one of the most favored for love next year. Oh. Yes. Hear that, Jay? All right. Uh, no. Get ready. No comment for the peanut gallery. <laughs> what are you, Marcus? What's your? I am a Taurus Scorpio Virgo. So oh, you sound very 
complicated. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Taurus and Scorpio are two emotional signs of the Zodiac. And then Virgo is what I lovingly refer to as the OCD sign of the Zodiac, right? Because Virgo is like, if you have a Virgo friend and you're going on vacation with them, the Virgo is the one that makes the Excel sheet that lists out every moment of your entire vacation. I have vacation. been with Virgos. <laughs> Those are Virgos. I have been in relation with Virgos. I understand. Yeah. 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 So it's going to be a big year. It's going to be a really amazing year for everybody. And anyone who's been doing their work is going to succeed quite well this year. But it's going to be a big transformational year. So the second half of the year is going to be sort of like when we kick back and sort of enjoy the fruits of our labor. But there's also going to be some really powerful, we have three powerful eclipses this year. We have three Mercury retrogrades this year. And we have also Venus going retrograde this year. Now, Venus skipped her retrograde this in 2019, which is unusual. So we've had more of like a calming of sorts with love stuff or a lot of people saw a lack of love stuff going on this year as far as like falling in love but now next year she's going to go uh, she's going to go retrograde so we've got a lot of big things coming next year that are going to really stir thing up the eclipse is particular so one of the big things on the stage next year for all signs is sort of diving deep into the hidden parts of ourselves. That's because Pluto is going to be doing a major transit for most of the year. So Pluto controls the unseen, the underworld, and transformation. And when he goes into transits, typically can be kind of a painful experience because it's when we're forced to change and kind of grow and become more than what we are. So he's going to be doing a transit for most of 2020, which is going to really push everybody to sort of go down deep inside and bring to the to the surface the unseen parts of our emotions, our wounds, and our the hidden parts of our personality. Well, plus he's angry ever since he got downgraded from planet to just <laughs> clump of ice, I think is what happened a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, so he's going to make us all pay in 2020. Yes, we're going to have to pay the price. I, you know, I... Um, uh, you know, I, I love this stuff, and, and I, I, you know, I'm like most people. I read my horoscope every now and then because you know it's amazing to me how there is sometimes correlation. But looking back at how all this got started, there are twelve signs, twelve, of, 12, 12 yeah. signs of the, and there are nine planets, right? Yes. So not every. Not every sign got a planet. Then. Well, some of the signs are ruled by two, right? So Venus rules two different signs, and Pluto rules two different signs. So some of the zodiac signs are dually ruled by the same planet. Okay. So Mercury is the messenger. Is yep. that ruler of when, communications? Ruler, so when Mercury is in retrograde, yeah. right? What what is that? means communication is blocked it's yes and it also mercury rules technology contracts things like that so when he goes retrograde that's the one that happens the most often so when he goes retrograde he sort of unleashes uh just a bad plethora of communication technology will go bonkers at that time we have three of these coming up in 2020 um also one of the things that you'll see happen a lot when mercury is retrograde is the past coming back up right so that's when you'll run into exes that's when you'll start to feel things things from the past. That's when you'll start to be spinning around in your mind about things that have already happened. Mercury controls that. He'll bring the past back up when he's retrograding. So that's what normally makes Mercury retrograde pretty interesting for most people. When we come back, I want you to explain to me why all Leos are the way they are. Because I have had so many relationships with so many Leos and they are just going to do me in. They're just going to do me in. Gang, thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. 
giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Diana Ross and the Supremes. I don't care what sign you are. <laughs> I love your music Doug, choices. Doug that my, one up for you, time Mark. Here. Yes, Marcus. <laughs> I uh, once read a great book by Joseph Campbell called The uh, Art of Mythology, yes. where he studies Greek culture, Roman culture, Egyptian culture, all the great cultures of all the great uh, you know, ruling empires of the world who, in essence, put a lot of the building blocks mm-hmm. uh, of the tools that you now work with together. And, and they're still relevant today. I, I mean, every daily news Newspaper seems to have your daily horoscope yep. available to read, right? Yeah. Where did you acquire this vast knowledge? Because uh, you you throw this stuff out like uh, you know, like don't you know Mercury's in retrograde <laughs> for the fourth time? I'm like, I didn't know. <laughs> it started with tarot cards for me, which is what we talked right. about the last time I was. Ah, there. Don't bring any ghosts in the room. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> okay, okay. There's, a, there's a couple here, but they're fine. They're fine. Uh, it started with tarot with me, and then from there, I started to get really deep into astrology, and I started to I got my chart read by this amazing astrologer in New York. And then I started to start some training programs with her because I just found it to be so fascinating. But astrology always interested me, especially Greek mythology, because I remember learning about it in school. Um, So I always found that stuff to be really fascinating. And then when I started to like actually really look into astrology itself, which used to be considered a very real science, um, then I really started to get interested in it. And when people have asked me, they say, do you really think that the planets have any kind of effect what's going on here on Earth. And I say, look at it this way. The moon is the closest orbiting body to us, right? And the moon has such a pull, has such a gravitational pull on Earth that it literally pulls the water in the ocean up towards the sky, creates the waves on our planet. Humans are made of, what, 75, 80% water? And I have three friends that work in ERs, they're nurses in ERs across the country, and they say the full moon is always the most craziest day, right? I I run a city. Yeah. full moons, we have the most activity for long. So that's that's just one body that orbits around with Earth that has that strong of a gravitational pull on this planet that literally pulls water from our surface up towards the air, right? Or up towards the sky. So yes, I absolutely do think all of these planets are pulling and pushing against each other in gravitational fields, and that's going to hit us. And absolutely, I'm being pulled as we speak. I'm so glad we decided to record at the beach today. (laughs) I had to paint a picture for them. So, yeah. So, but then when you actually put in the mythology of it all, which is so ancient and has so much history behind it, it becomes even more fascinating to me. So, so many of them seem to be masculine symbols. Mercury, the messenger masculine. Mars, the god of war. war. Jupiter, meaning the god of all the gods, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Pluto, I mean, there are definitely the underworld, feminine. Hades. But where are the feminine signs? Aquarius? So, Venus. Signs, Venus, Venus, obviously. Obviously the biggest controller. But what you would actually see with most people who are just going to check their zodiac signs or their horoscopes don't know this stuff but there's actually several major asteroids that are are within our orbit right that are constantly orbiting around the earth and around our solar system most of those are feminine hmm. so you have like 
you have Ares, the goddess of discord, right? So she's the one that's always stirring the pot when she's interacting with ones. You have uh, Pallas Athena. She's the ruler of wisdom, right? She's the mother of all, right? Mm -hmm. So most of the big feminine powers, with the exception of Venus, are asteroids. Mm, that's so interesting. if you do dig deeper into it, um, those, those asteroids are part of daily astrology. Right. So ancient people looked up at the sky and they started to make connections between how the stars would align at certain times of the year and what was happening here on Earth. They did. So astrology was originally developed um, to predict like when the rain season was going to come. They always knew that when Aquarius was in the sky, that's when it was going to rain. Hmm. So that's how it was an originally developed. And then mythology started to play more and more of a, a role into it. Right. And now we're learning, of course, that the Egyptians and the way in which pyramids were constructed, a lot of them relied on the stars and the positions Absolutely. of the stars yep. and lining up between different time periods. Yep. So the ancient people were clued into all this. Yeah, the Babylonians go back with astrology big, all the way back time. there. Yeah, Big time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we as modern thinking people <laughs> who like to believe in science and reason, uh, I, I think there'd be a lot of skeptics. And yet, every daily paper's got a horoscope. It's sort of becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And even people who I know who used to be very skeptical about it, I have, you know, obviously all of my friends know I do tarot, I do astrology, I do all that stuff. Um, and I've had several friends that have never, like, they won't go anywhere near it. And even though they're really close friends of mine, and even them recently have been like, well, you read my cards, something's going on. You know, <laughs> and more and more people are opening up to it. It's becoming a very big part of people, like, in their daily kind of influence. And, uh, and that's how I try to gear my stuff. I try to make it much more personal in the in the daily posts that I do on my Instagram page. Right. You know, the way I look at it is, you know, the ancient people looked at the stars of the sky are the ones they could identify. Well, they didn't realize that there were billions of them <laughs> beyond all that. And so we as modern day people, we can look up at the sky or look at our world or what we can sense through our five senses, but there may be other forces and influences playing out that we just don't know. Absolutely. We don't know. We had one in the studio the last time. Yes, the last time you were here. <laughs> Scared the Jesus out of Jason and me, right? Yeah. 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 Um, some people uh, might say that a lot of this is like bordering. That these are the true believers. I mean, Ouija boards, evil. Don't go into the dark side. Don't go in the dark places or the dark spirits. I mean, uh, any you have any belief about that or about people who say, be careful with this stuff. You don't know what you're messing with. It absolutely depends on your intent and how you're using it. A lot of There's a lot of history about tarot being like the devil cards, right? There's some religions that absolutely forbid you to even touch them. Um, I absolutely believe, you know, uh, Ouija boards even kind of freak me out a little mm -hmm. bit, yeah. but it's all about how you intend to use it. If you're trying to use it negatively, then you will absolutely access that energy and that's what will fuel your readings. If yeah. you're trying to use something positively, you will access that level of energy right. and that's how you'll fuel your readings. Well, my own Latino culture, Dia de Muerto, you know, right around mm -hmm. Halloween time is the time when we believe that the veil between the living and the departed yep. are, is that it's thinnest. Yep. And that communication with those departed is uh, available and accessible. And I still part, I do that every Halloween. And that happens on a mini level every single day from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah. That's wow. When, that's really? That's the veil is it's, it's at its weakest. Nothing yeah. good happens between 3 and 4 a.m. <laughs> right, Jason? I thought you were going to play my grinder sound clip there for me, but no. <laughs> what are you doing at 3 and 4 a.m., John? I, I should be sleeping. I should be sleeping. We've got, there we go. We've got less than 30 seconds. Marcus, if people want more information,
information about your readings and what you do, how can they reach you? Um, I have a website, MarcusBarrington.com, and that is Marcus with a K, or you can check me out on Instagram at Barrington41. Or you can get on his Facebook and listen, watch him prance around with his daily predictions, which is what I do. <laughs> Marcus, always good to have you. I hope you so you'll much. come back again. Love having you here on the show. Anytime. When we come back, gang, we'll be talking to Lucy Kahn and Wes Sigmiller about the International Day Against Violence Against Sex Workers here on Channel Q. Nothing going on but the rent. Gwen Guthrie, I'm playing that for Wes Sigmiller, our next guest, along with Lucy (laughs) Kahn, who are here about International Day Against Violence Against Sex Workers, which is next Tuesday, right? December the 17th. That's That's right. right. What is the day about? Why don't you guys tell me? Uh, Well, hey, John. First of all, nice to see you again. Uh, So my name is West, and this is uh, my colleague Lucy. We're from Sex Workers Outreach Project. And um, this Tuesday, December 17th, is International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers, which is uh, internationally recognized every December 17th. Um, It was founded in 2003, I think. That's right, by uh, the Sex Workers Outreach Project, which we are a part of. And originally, it was started to commemorate the victims of the Green River Killer, who was a major serial killer in the 80s and took the lives of... He was convicted of taking the lives of 49 people. Mostly... Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mostly sex workers and Women, runaways. right? Women exactly. up in the Seattle, Vancouver area. That's yeah. correct. Wow. Yeah. And wow. he was actually thought of, you know... He, of taking many more lives. I'm sure those are the ones I identified, right? Who knows exactly. what remains were out there. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, that's right. So it started out to commemorate those victims, and later on it came to commemorate victims of sexual violence who are sex workers and in the sex industry. I'm, I mean, let's just talk about this for a second, because we were, my last guest and I, during the break, we, I was telling them you two were coming on, and they, we started to have a chat about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what it comes out of is that some men, mostly men I'm guessing, maybe almost all men, think that sex workers are marginal, disposable, less than human, something that I can treat badly, discriminate against, use violence against, and even kill. For sure. Yeah. And that's something you see in our history and also in our popular media. You know, I was just thinking about like, S, you know, Law and Order, SVU and Dirty Work, Rough Night, all these there like. We, there we go. <laughs> just for you. <laughs> all these things like tropes where dead sex workers, dead hookers are like the butt of the joke. Right. And it's taken lightly and as entertainment. And right. So that's something that we really want to take seriously um, by celebrating this day and bringing that and yet the work is as ancient as a history of human culture and society itself you can find it both in the old and the new testament by the way jesus hung out with sex workers (laughs) and lepers for the cool guy he was a cool guy yeah 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 so this day happens all over the world to bring world attention to the fact that this occurs yeah that's right so we got something going on west hollywood i think is going to give you all a resolution on monday night I guess, yeah, on Monday is our West Hollywood City Council. West Hollywood is really like a city on the hill in terms of these issues. And, um, uh, you know, we went to the, we actually went to the DA debates the other day, uh, John, you and I, and um, Swap asked a question of the, uh, the district attorney candidates if they would support sex work decriminalization for adult consensual sex work and the question got a huge uproarious round of applause from the audience from a very diverse audience which blew me away mm-hmm. black and brown people primarily but it was uh, very like they 
that was the loudest applause line of the night on yeah. this question. Yeah, oh, totally. And I mean, um, you know, whenever you pose these issues, and especially in like uh, uh, historically marginalized communities like black and brown uh, neighborhoods and stuff like that, people that are really affected by um, these issues, you never really know like what their feelings are about it. Um, but I, I like the response that uh, our question got the other night. It really just shows that like the timing is right now for right. us to really push this issue to the forefront. Let's define sex workers because people sitting at home listening may be thinking, What's, what I, I prostitute, I get that. But there's other definitions through, for, under that word, yeah? Porn stars, for example, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Strippers, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, sexual performers. I mean, all of the, uh, oh, I go-go guess. Uh, go-go dancers. Go-go dancers. BDSM practitioners. Uh, uh, performers on camera, 976 mm-hmm. hotlines. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these would be considered sex workers, right? That's right. But people don't want to talk about it because um, generally Americans have a great deal of discomfort about talking about sex. Down those Puritans. It all started right. with the pilgrims. <laughs> well, nowadays, I mean, it's so much more common for, like, this, the sex industry has just totally exploded. I mean, porn has gone mainstream. Um, and so many, it's way more common than you realize that young people are engaging in, like, light forms of sex work. Maybe something like compensated dating, what we call, like, being a sugar baby mm-hmm. to support their education. Sugar baby was a candy in my generation. That's all I can tell you. It was it's, a chocolate peanut is what it was. Yummy. Still is, <laughs> um, and, uh, and just working people, poor people in general, they supplement their income with various forms of sex work um, because they're the ones that need money the most. So when we... When we talk about marginalization of sex workers, it's not just like the types of people you think are getting arrested, like the the character you see on Law and Order SVU. I mean, it's those people too, but it's also um, it's just people that are trying to get by, people trying to survive. They're all impacted by these issues when we talk about like sex work. Yeah, and all classes too. I would say you know not only lower income and working class, but you know in academia, many of my colleagues, students, professors were also doing sex work to supplement their income. So really, I guarantee you know more sex workers than you think you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Not just the people in this room. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> All of you out there. <laughs> well, in my youth, I was known to wear very low-cut low cut shirts in order to get cocktails bought for me. I guess that's a form <laughs> of sex work in and of itself, maybe. Uh, you know, I, I think, fortunately, the LGBT community, uh, because we come out of a sexual revolution, we're a little more comfortable talking about these things. Mm-hmm. We, we had to break down the myths around homosexuality in order to get the revolution off the ground. Back in 1974 here in California, it was illegal to be homosexual in the state of mm-hmm. California. LAPD would routinely raid the bars. And the part of the, the power that existed around that, the reason that uh, gay people were considered uh, uh, disposable is because we were considered deviant or dirty mm-hmm. or underclass or under the shadows. And therefore, they could do these things to us. So we had to fight that. And, and I think that's a, there's a comparison between that period of time, the 1950s, in this country and with the work you are all doing now in 2020. My God, it's 70 years. <laughs> 70 oh years God. later. <laughs> yeah, so we're really excited about our event. It's going to be um, this Tuesday, December 17th. Um, it's going to be at Altamed. The location is 512 South Indiana Street, um, 90063, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the issues that you guys have highlighted and some of the solutions you're coming up with to deal with these issues. Thanks for tuning in, gang, here on Channel Q.
You better treat her right. Thank you, Donna Summers, for those incredible words. We are uh, here with SWAP, Sex Worker Outreach Program, Wes Sigmiller and Lucy Kahn, uh, who are talking about the International Day Against Violence Against Sex Workers next week. And um, we, I guess we've highlighted some of the issues, violence obviously being one. Um, what are the other like large issues that I, we think uh, sex workers have to confront, at least here in, let's just say, United States? Mm, well, off the top of my head, what I've experienced the most of is uh, just stigma, like from your own community, from your family, from your friends. You sort of live, there's sort of like this phrase, um, uh, we think of like sex workers live secret lives a lot of the time. Um, so it, it, the, the work can be very isolating because you don't, you know, you don't like share it with the people around you. And that also is one of the things that puts sex workers at risk of like all these harms, like violence, mental health issues, substance use. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I, I mean, when I think about it out loud now with you, all right, so HIV impacts all people, right? Yeah, but if, if I'm going to the doctor to talk about HIV, I may be talking about my sex partners and how I may have been exposed to HIV. A sex worker has to go through a double reveal almost, yeah. right? That's like right. I'm because of my partners and by the way, this is what I do. Or, or if it's issues around drug addiction or alcoholism, that happens to everybody. But if I'm somebody engaged in sex work, then I have to go even a step further and maybe talk about that connection between the sex work and sharing needles or, or any of those mm -hmm. other issues. There's always a, a further step, right? And, uh, and you're explaining it to your doctor who really should, you know, <laughs> like understand those dynamics, but they don't. So like, you know, a lot of times sex workers won't access health services because they want to avoid that situation with their doctor. They don't want to feel the stigma again. They don't want to have to explain all of their their life and have their doctor look at them across the, the room and be like, oh, well, this is all because you're a sex worker because of how you make money. Right. And, and, and some sex workers are in basic survival mode. They're doing sex work to eat. They're doing sex work to pay rent. Not everybody is making big money in the porn industry or at the mm -hmm. body shop on the Sunset Strip or as a stripper at Mickey's on Santa Monica Boulevard. There are some people who are having a really tough time. So they're not accessing the traditional government benefits like Social Security, Medicare, Medi-Cal, uh, any, anything else that uh, everybody else gets to just easily act, unemployment benefits if they're not working. There, there's almost like a, a hidden world that they or coexisting world they live in. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's right. a tough part, yeah. yeah. So what, okay, here's, those are all the problems. Now, <laughs> what do we do about it? Swap. <laughs> Lucy and Wes, well. what do we do to approach all of those issues? Well, I mean, as a <clears throat> organization that is run by former and current sex workers mostly, um, it's really important to us to not only work against stigma, but also against for decriminalization. You know, I think a lot of the stigma comes from us being in a field that is criminalized, that this idea that what we, we get what we deserve, mm. you know, if we receive abuse or things like that. So it's really important to us to kind of... Um, you know, bring us above board in that way. Yeah, that's a that you just hit something right square on the nose, Lucy. You get what you deserve. Every gay man and lesbian has heard that mm -hmm. from the fundamentalist right. AIDS, you get what you deserve. Hate crimes, you get what you deserve. Mm. You know, like you get what you deserve because of your lifestyle. Yeah, that is exactly what most LGBT people have been fighting against, and that's why we should be picking up the the reins with you all, doing this fight with you. Yeah, and we, our fight overlaps with 
so many communities, you know, the LGBT community, you know, people of color, women, um, trans people, like so many stigmatized or uh, marginalized identities, Um, you know, because sex workers are not just abstract bodies, you know, we inhabit other identities as well. And you, you are uh, from the Khan dynasty. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) that's my uh, origin myth. (laughs) So you are an Asian woman, and uh, can you tell us a little bit about you personally? You mind sharing on a personal level? I mean, how did Lucy Khan go from Lucy Khan third grader to Lucy Khan advocate for sex workers? Sure. Well, um, you know, I was born in China. Both my parents were immigrants, um, and uh, you know, I was raised as an overachieving Asian person. And um, I was in art school, basically, in graduate school, and I realized, like, oh, shit, I have no money to do anything. <laughs> this line of, you know, study that I've pursued is completely impractical. And so, um, yeah, I just met someone else who was doing uh, dom work at, like, a bowling alley. Like, I met her at a birthday party. Dom work. Dominate, dominatrix dom- Yeah, she's work. a dominatrix, ah. a professional dominatrix. Okay. And she was describing some of the things that she does for work, and, uh, you know, know involved like you know inflicting pain this consensual power exchange right, right you know and so i became very fascinated and just simply went on the internet and googled like you know dominatrix la and found somebody to study under wow and, and here not, we are now eight years later eight years later <laughs> people will pay me to do this yeah wow, exactly wow, wow. that's that's exactly. pretty amazing yeah wow and so, you know, as I became more established and my own uh, personal survival needs were met through this work, which I feel so blessed to have stumbled upon, it became really important to me to become involved in like a larger community and to give back in any way I could to people who are still, you know, finding their way or needing um, just help and support and a community to be with. What would you two say to the critics out there who would say, you know, if you want all these problems to go away, you, you just need to get a real job, a regular job, not be a sex worker, not be a dominatrix, not do porn, not be a stripper or a go-go boy. You just need to do, you know, retail or real estate <laughs> or something else. What would you say or respond to that critic? I mean, Personally, I've had jobs that are uh, normal jobs as a cocktail waitress, for example, that I had right before the dom work. And I was treated so much worse. It was so much more degrading mm. um, doing that line of work than what I do now. Mm. Oh, absolutely. My One of my jobs in college was I was um, I was like, you know, the front desk boy at a really fancy spa. You know, I served like all the the classy people in San Francisco, Kamala Harris came in and spent like a couple thou on her skincare and stuff. And um, I mean, she was nice, but in that job, I was just basically like crapped on by rich people. And as a sex worker, that power dynamic totally shifted. I was the one in control. I was the one draining their finances, you know, just totally changed the game. Hmm. Okay. All right. We also say sex work is work. It's real work. Um, I mean, w- the first lady of America. I mean, we're, well, oh, I'm Melania. A, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, still, still, I'm still with Michelle. I still can't get. <laughs> yeah. I still can't get. I still can't get to Melania. Okay, Melania Trump. Yes, is probably. Right. Yeah, like where you know, I'm a, I'm on that girl's team. Like I I see where she came from. Where, how she came up in society. I don't agree with the policies of her family's administration, but I feel like she's trapped, trapped in Trump world. 
maybe in her case, a little, little tra- trapped in her own gilded cage. But yeah, well, that's kind of what it feels like. She built the gilded cage, and now she's trapped mm. in it. I'm, mean, I'm not. I don't have sympathy for her. But I, I shouldn't have brought that up. It's it, that's a soft spot for you. John. It is a soft spot for me. <laughs> I, like I, anything Trump, I just put blinders on. Right. Anything Trump. <laughs> um, that's really cool. So the, I know West Hollywood is uh, got a proposal on Monday to create a sex worker task force. What what is it you all hope to achieve with that task force? So we're kind of modeling this off of um, what happened in San Francisco. San Francisco uh, uh, basically implemented some really progressive policies to um, make sex workers safer and to reduce like the harms that they face. And the, those policies that were implemented at the city level went on to become state legislation that we know as SB 233, which basically provides some really basic protections to sex workers that are victims of crime so that mm. they can report without fear of getting arrested. Mm. But that statewide pol- law like um, started at the local level. So we're trying to do that here in West Hollywood because you know, West Hollywood, uh, a lot of people that live there, they're engaged in sex work. And also our our uh, economies, there's a lot of sex-based industries in West Hollywood, like the nightlife scene. Um, you know, there's a lot of like erotic... Massage parlors. Massage parlors. Strip like joints, and yeah. et cetera. The tourism industry. We have less than a minute left. Do you guys want to tell us about websites, uh, where to get more information, how to follow you on social media? Lucy, West, either of you? Both. Yeah, so the, you know, we're made up, a lot of young people are in our network, so the best way to reach us is really on Instagram at SwapLA. So S-W-O-P-L-A? S-W-O-P-L-A on Instagram. Got it. Yeah. Lucy, any parting words from you? Thanks so much for having us and giving us a platform to talk about these important issues. And uh, yeah, I hope to see some of you LA-based people out there on December 17th at our at our event at Ultimate. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for coming in. Gang, when we come back, Leslie Jordan from Will & Grace on his rise from the Deep South to Hollywood Emmy winner here on Channel Q. And that's Miss Olivia Newton-John singing Sorted Lives, uh, which uh, our next guest uh, need no introduction, but I think that's a perfectly appropriate introduction. Uh, Leslie, put those earphones on right there, sweetie, right there. Uh, we've got Leslie Jordan and Sam Harris in the studio with us here on Sidebar. Welcome, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Now, you guys have got holiday specials coming up next week. I think, Leslie, yours is on Monday. Monday night. And what is it? Deck the halls, y'all? Deck him halls, (laughs) y'all. Which is what? Well, it was me deciding that I just had a bunch of Christmas stories. Um, I begin with my worst Christmas, which was my unfortunate incarceration. <laughs> well, I was in the pokey on Christmas Eve, and my roommate was Robert Downey Jr. But anyway, oh you're going to have to come see the show to hear that one. Wow, I love that. And then all the way to my best Christmas was when I was three years old, and I asked my daddy, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Army, for a bride doll. Not only did I ask him, I asked him in front of everybody, all his Army buddies. He's on Santa Claus' lap. Oh, my God. And he told my mother, he said, I'm not getting him a bird doll. And she said, well, and it's a long, it's a beautiful story. Oh. Where I did get a bride you got doll, it. <laughs> and I squatted and peed in the floor. Okay, from happiness and joy. Yeah. Oh, I love. You know, I remember a Christmas. It's not. I don't remember the Christmas, but when I look at Super Eight home video of our Christmases when I was a kid, you know, they're silent. Um, and there is, I think it's my th- three years old, and all of a sudden, every present 
is tanks and guns and there's they clearly already at that age were like we gotta butch this boy up everything and so you know and it was like a rifle so what did I do I picked up the rifle and started twirling it <laughs> that showed them that showed them and Sam you've got a show next week too you're, you're on both... Thursday the 19th and where, where what theaters is happening this is the Catalina Club Catalina in Hollywood Club in Hollywood All yeah right. Leslie's Monday night Deck the Halsey All and then you've got one Wednesday? Thursday, the 19th. 19th. Sam Harris Unwrapped. I shall leave that to to your imagination. Wow. Okay, there's so many double entendres I can fill in right there, but I won't. I won't. Stand by with the the sensor button, Jason. There we go. There we go. Just in case one of us slips. Uh, Leslie, I, you know, I, um, First of all, thank you for coming. You know I love you. You're I just welcome. adore you so much. Every time I see you around town, I know I'm going to be in for a good laugh whenever we run into <laughs> each other. You you um, have, I think, for a lot of LGBT people, symbolize somebody coming from a small town in the Deep South where there's so much oppression, and you just doubled down on your little flamboyant self. Well, I came in 1982. I had a degree in theater (laughs) they had said to me mr george the university of tennessee and i didn't so much come to get into acting in the back of my head was i wanted to find west hollywood Mm. i knew it was a mecca you know i just knew that there was a place and i got off the bus at the corner of vine street and day long pray day long pray (laughs) (laughs) and i found weho and i you know uh, dropped anchor and uh, it's been such a journey because, as you know, in 1992, it was a city in crisis. Yes, you know, it was. The, AIDS just the AIDS, started. Yep. The AIDS yep. epidemic and, and could get no help. Mm. We could get no help. And so, you know, I was right there at the corner of Fairfax and Fountain when they founded uh, Project Angel Food. I was, mm. you know, I was right there, you know. I was high, but anyway. <laughs> but you were there. <laughs> Thank God there were no iPhones back then. Huh? Oh my God. But I've been sober now, you know, 20 of those years. So mm. I think I've lived in West Hollywood 20 years sober and then 20 years not sober. Wow. So. You know, I stole one of your lines, Beverly Leslie lines, I, I from Will and Grace. I, I, there's a flavor at the yogurt stop named after me. It says, original WeHo tart, John Duran. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody said, well, what's your flavor taste like? I said, lube and regret. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Snare drum, snare drum. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a line, of course. Oh, Karen Walker, I thought I smelled gin and regrets. We just finished the very last episode. Ever, ever, ever. And I wish I could spill the beans, but I would get killed. But I didn't do many episodes this year because I was on American Horror Story. Yes. Oh, my God. You terrified me. I hated seeing them kill you. I didn't like that. I, went, I think they, well, in the last one I did, they killed me three times. <laughs> the first two <laughs> didn't do the trick. <laughs> she kept coming no, back. No, we went back in time and I just kept coming back. Uh-huh. You didn't get the message. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are two some completely different genres, comedy and then horror. I mean, how, how did you adapt yourself to do that? But are they really different? <laughs> are they? Uh, I think that I'm trotted out for the comedic relief, but the difference is... Um, on American Horror Story, you look around, and not that the cast of Will and Grace is not incredibly talented, but you're standing there and you think, okay, 
right next to me is Cuba Gooding Jr., who won an Academy Award. Beside him is um, Angela Bassett, who won an Academy Award. There's one scene. Mm. There's Kathy Bates with mm. her Academy Award. And then there's Sarah Paulson, who hasn't yet, but will. She will. <laughs> She's won everything. And I'm thinking, you know, i got to pull this out of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Because I love that. But isn't it amazing also, though, when you are working with people who are of that level of of craft, that it pulls you up, oh. not just from the fear, but actually <laughs> it gives you something to play off of and to be in. It, it just lifts everything. It's it thrilling, really isn't it? It does. <clears throat> and I love when they mess up, too, because then you think, oh, they're, my God. They're well, fallible. Yeah. Right. Come on. You know, we all mess up lines. There was one day we came in and they said, listen, because of time, we're going to block shoot an entire day, which means the camera is going to be on you, you know, five o'clock in the morning, and we're going to do your entire day. Well, I don't memorize like that Mm -hmm. because there's usually so much time. I was hemming and hawing and carrying on, and I said to Angela Bassett, I don't believe I got these pages. She said... Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> Who are you trying to bull? <laughs> Got those things you didn't memorize. <laughs> You're supposed to be on my side. <laughs> that is so funny. I wonder why Why are gay LGBT people so taken with horror as a genre? I mean, uh, True Blood was filmed in West Hollywood, and I was religious about it. I loved all the... Of course, the handsome, striking men with gorgeous bodies didn't hurt, <laughs> but I loved watching it. And I don't do horror stories. I don't do Friday the 13th or Halloween, but I love American Horror Story. I love True Blood. I loved uh, anything that the Team Edward and Team Jacob, the Twilight series. Uh, is it just sex? Is that why I'm watching? <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um I think it comes down... Well, American Horror Story is just the camp aspect, I think. Oh, and Ryan fair. Murphy is so... I mean, you know, where else could you find someone right for Jessica Lange to sing uh, Anna, Fanna, Bobana? <laughs> <laughs> I watched that religiously. I love that episode, guys. When we come back, we'll be hearing more from Sam Harris about his show and his singing. Uh, and, of course, Leslie Jordan and his incredible career. And we'll even talk to Chris Isaacson, who's presenting these guys when we come back. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. That's so beautiful, Sam. Well, thank you. That's you you singing Bridge Over Troubled Water. We're in studio with Sam Harris and the incredible Leslie Jordan here at Sidebar. That's such a beautiful recording. Thank you. It is. I almost didn't want to cut it off. I wanted to hear more. It's a song I've done for many years. It's not terribly Christmassy, but um, yes, it's a good song. Yeah, it's a great song. (laughs) Tell me about your early days of your start. We were talking during the break about you, Elizabeth, getting a call from someone claiming to be Elizabeth Taylor, and you hung up because you didn't believe (laughs) it was her. Well, because Leslie had mentioned the AIDS crisis in the early 80s, and of course, the early 80s. Is, is when the Star Search thing happened to, for me, and which was such a whirlwind. But then I remember this one day I got this call and it said, "Hello, this is that wispy little boy." Hello, this is Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> and I said, "Who is this?" <laughs> it's Elizabeth queen. Taylor. I said, "Goodbye." I'm not. You know, hang up. She calls back. It's Elizabeth Taylor. I said, well, "What do you? Okay, what do you want?" <laughs> and she was the first APLA uh, big event show, and she said, "Would you appear?" And I said. Yes. Like, what am I going to say? No, Elizabeth, I'm not. No. So, yes, of course. And she said, thank you. She said, you're the first person who said yes, because people were still afraid to be associated with it, even on that level. And she sort of took me under her wing and we appeared in places and did this stuff. But Leslie and I were talking, too, about how when I was growing up, those people, my my meeting Lucille Ball, meeting Elizabeth Taylor, those people, those were my 
those were my idols, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really care about my contemporaries very much, but to be sort of embraced Jan Brady by... didn't do it for you, huh? <laughs> well, that wasn't my contemporary. <laughs> um, but, you know, like Sammy Davis and people that I grew up just, like, emulating and stealing from. And uh, that was I, was... I feel lucky to have been born in a time where I could have that and both mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah you um your holiday show is called unwrapped unwrapped meaning what sam harris unwrapped it means sam this harris is all you get up. baby this is the whole thing <laughs> this is it you know uh it's it's uh there are some non-holiday songs but it's just a celebration it's a lot of fun there's a couple of nice hanukkah songs in there we have to throw in awesome um and i'm doing something uh my it's always been on my bucket list i have always wanted to tap dance i've had a dance in a million shows on broadway all over the place but never tapped and i have been busting my tuchas to tap i've been taking lessons and i'm going to do a tap number in public okay now that that alone is worth the price of admission. It's going to be a ball. Sam Harris tap dance. Yeah. No, tap dance. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. <laughs> tap, tap dance to what? Well, well, a little Christmas song, but my All tap right. teacher, Robbie Wahlberg, made me buy these shoes. I was just in New York, and you can only get them in New York. They're called K360s, and you go to Capiz, and they take you to a special room, and it's like they dim the lights. It's this whole thing, because they cost $500,000 for these shoes, and so it's this whole congratulations thing. It's quite a Extraordinary. The, for that price, though, they should dance themselves. Because, you know, I should just put them, it's like the red shoes. I should just put them on and be Gene Kelly. Uh, Chris, yes. for ticket information for either of these great shows, where do people go? Yes, to see Leslie Jordan on December 16th and Sam Harris on December 19th, go to CatalinaJazzClub.com or TicketWeb.com. There you go. I want to see both. Yeah, you can see both. You should see both. I want to see both. Comedy and incredible singing. I want to see the tap dancing. It's such a <laughs> dancing. It is such a wonderful venue too. Yes, I mean, it is. I, I saw Eartha Kitt when it mm. was the old Catalina. I saw a lot of people. Now they've moved. It's uh, Sunset Boulevard a little east of Highland. Yep. Okay. And it's sort of like the whole bottom floor of a tall building. Am I right? Yeah, you park, you're right. You park in the back, but it's it's a wonderful venue. And it's every run. seat is great. It's good. And mm. it's got a, it's, it's, it's fairly large, but it has an intimacy that you feel like you're really a part of something. It's mm. a great place to play. And I have to say, because I've been there many times, the sound is fantastic. Yeah. It's just a great place to be, especially during the season, you know? Mm, yeah, this will get us And they don't have a lot of comedians, so I was told, whether it's true or not, we're going to pretend it's true, that the only other comedian that has appeared there was Joan River. Really? That actually is true. See? But did wow. she tap dance? No. That's no. the question. No. I think of you as a jazz comedian, Leslie. Yes, that's Because I riff. I love it. I love it. Leslie, after American Horror Story uh, and Will and Grace are done, what are you doing? I don't know. I'll probably have to move back home. No! <laughs> You're West Hollywood iconic. You're not going anywhere. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's been an interesting... Um, I travel so much with my one-person show. I did 44 venues last year. Wow. So I go all over the world, really. And so that is uh, what I do, kind of. Now, I want to stay in Hollywood. They just offered me Puerto Vallarta for 14 days. I said, I can't go there in February because I want to stay around and get this TV thing back up. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You have to be in town. You have to be available. So. Right. Gentlemen, this is Jared Hill. He's the host of the next uh, two hours. So, Jared, welcome to Sidebar, so, babe. Leslie, oh. the fact that you're here to... Sam, love you, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Leslie, the fact that you're here is a little bit strange for me because... 
my first day in journal, like in in a broadcast studio, you were at ABC Seven in San Francisco, and oh. you were being interviewed while I was a student, and I was shadowing uh, one of the anchors there. And today, I have a student from USC that's following me. Wow, and it's oh kind of full God. circle that you're actually here today. So I I just had that realization while I was sitting in the green room. Like that's wonderful. Oh my gosh, Leslie Jones is on today. That's so cool. Wow, so, yeah. that is cool. That's, Leslie's everywhere. I know. Oh. It's, really, it's really wild that you're here today. So that's pretty cool. Um, but John's going to be on our show. Uh, I'll drop the subject. He's going to be co-hosting with me for the next two hours. We've got plenty to talk about. Usually Fridays are Trump-free Fridays, but I can't have you here and not talk <laughs> oh about Trump. Not talk about <laughs> Especially Friday. on a day like today when we just... Uh, Voted we just... to impeach him. Exactly. Week, yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about that. We've got uh, the history of Friday the 13th because you're an encyclopedia. <laughs> and then uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Elizabeth Warren kind of coming for her Democratic uh, rivals. and She's been kind of... Uh, taking some digs at them for being too moderate. So all right, we'll talk about up, all yeah. that. All that. We will talk about all that. I look forward to it. That's awesome. Gentlemen, we got like less than a minute or so left to go. Any Let's party? talk about Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. <laughs> Actually, you want to hear crazy? It Friday the 13th, like my tap teacher, Robbie Wahlberg, the woman who I'm studying tap with, was the first one killed in the original Friday the 13th. Wow. <laughs> she did not, however, tap in I that movie. I was the last one killed. Uh, were you? <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. They threw me in the French fry fryer. Oh. I didn't see how it worked. They, they killed you in that movie? I didn't know that. Honey, did they kill me? You have been sliced and diced more than anybody I know. I've killed my mother three times because she called me and said, Is there anything you want to talk about? <laughs> You've killed your... <coughs> killed your mother oh, oh no. so so funny well I look forward to both of your shows next thank week you. Chris thank you for scheduling these guys of they're going to be fantastic wonderful and uh, happy holidays to both of you and to thank you, you. And thank, thank you, you for having me. me thank you very much I'll see you both at your shows next week gang Yay. we'll be back next week the 20th Glad is calling in from New York City to tell us what Glad's doing in the year 2020 and we have two moms coming on who have created children's literature for a grade school level about LGBT people for all the LA public schools. Awesome women. So, next week, until then, thanks for tuning in to Channel Q.